Good morning. We're changing our order of service a little today because we're going to do a, a series on worship, just a short series of about three messages. So that's this Sunday and next Sunday, and then halfway through July, Mike is going to talk about intergenerational worship and um, what that means. So today, because the topic of the sermon is on worship, uh, we're going to have the teaching first and then we're going to go flow into a time of worship. A few years ago, I had uh, a guy in, in my congregation come up to me and he said, look, why is this singing for so long in the service? You know, real blokes like me, I think he was a farmer, um, we don't like singing and it sort of drags on for quite a long time. In fact, sometimes I find that, you know, I just need to take my little daughter out to crash because I've had enough of it. And then someone else said to me, well, why don't we get rid of the singing and have longer sermons and then have discussion about the sermons at the end of the sermon? The fact is, we all worship God in different ways. We're all wired differently. We have different pathways to God. Some of us feel closest to God looking at his awesome creation, and there's so much of it around here, isn't it? And others, it's in a time of worship where we're singing and focusing on our Lord and looking at beautiful words about what he's done and listening to beautiful music. And so we are all different, and so we have to consider each other. You know, Helen used to be a music teacher, and you can, she was a teacher at Bethlehem College uh, of music in the primary department and helped in the secondary department. But it's easy to get primary school children singing. They just love to sing. But something happens when a child gets to intermediate age and it's no longer cool to sing. You know, when I was a child, we grew up in Dunedin and I used to go to the St Kilda playground and they had a dinosaur slide and they had a model of Saddle Hill, which was a local landmark that had tunnels all the way through it. And I'd climb all over this thing. I'd have such a great time. But a few years ago, I went back there and my feelings towards that playground were completely different. There was no way I wanted to climb through those tunnels. <laughs> and so we are all on a journey. It can be the same with our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we don't feel that excitement. Sometimes we just seem to go through the motions. And we can easily settle for something that's short of the relationship that God really desires of us. Our attitude towards things is really important in determining what we get out of them. And so, you know, our attitude can mean the difference between a good day and a bad day, a successful day or a failure of a day, a good marriage or a bad marriage, perhaps even a good life or a bad life. Chuck Swindle said, words can never adequately, and it should be on the screen, 
adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. Just think about that. How we respond to the events of our life will determine our happiness and our sense of accomplishment. Some of the most powerful teaching on, the, on joy and on worship in the Bible is found in the book of Philippians where Paul was writing from a cold, damp pit of a prison. Look at what he says in his letter from that prison. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Okay, even when you're in prison, try and be full of the joy of the Lord. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about it. Ask God to help you with it. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. Are you experiencing God's peace in your life? Are you handing over all those difficulties, those worries, those anxieties to the Lord? When we remember God's goodness towards us, we will respond by offering our lives to him. Worship means to submit to Jesus in every area of our lives. Are you yielding your life to Jesus? Are there areas of your life that you are holding back from him? Who stayed up and watched the cricket last night? Oh, wow. All those people have stayed in at home this morning. You see, they're all sleeping in. You, you're the good guys. You put God first. That's really good. I'm encouraged about that. So our attitude towards worship greatly influences how we feel when we worship. And we can each ask ourselves this morning, what is my attitude to worship? Do I enjoy musical worship where we're singing and praising God? Or is it something that I endure that I'm not too excited about it? Psalm 22 verse 3 tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, when we become a Christian, God comes and dwells in our hearts. But when we meet together like this and we worship God together in a corporate way, God inhabits the praises of his people. And so if you want to sense God's presence in this place, as we worship God in unity together, he floods this place. His presence comes into this place. His presence to draw people to him, to teach into people's lives, to bring healing and salvation. And so worship is very, very important for bringing the presence of God amongst us. You know, when um, we arrive on a Sunday morning, often we've got many different things going on in our mind. And so when we focus on Jesus and we lift up our hearts and worship to him, then we can forget about all those other things and we can give him the worship that he deserves. 
So worship is an instinctive response to a great and mighty God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's above all gods. We focus on his awesomeness and we tell him how wonderful he is. In Psalm 27 verses 1 to 3, David's enemies attacked him. And he was feeling worried about his enemies. And so he got away on his own with the Lord. And he expressed his confidence in God. Instead of being fearful and anxious, David longs to get closer to God because he knows that God is all-powerful. This is what he says. He says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know, to walk in the Spirit is to be conscious of God's presence in our life every moment of every day. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. You know, sometimes we can end up in a pit. But when we focus on who God is, he lifts us up. He puts us on a rock where we're safe in those days, most of the warfare was hand-to-hand -hand combat. And if you were on a rock, you were in a safe place. The enemy couldn't touch you. And so he will lift you out of that pit and he will put you upon a rock. So David was under immense pressure as the king of Israel and the leader of the army. But he held it all together by holding on to this attitude of worship. Today, many things compete for our worship and devotion, and we're forced to make choices. David chose to make God his number one priority. His single-minded pursuit of God is what made him such an effective leader. And in 1 Samuel 17, it describes how David confronted the giant Goliath. The other soldiers viewed Goliath from a human perspective. But David was a worshipper of God, and he could see the bigger picture. Goliath ridiculed the armies of the God of Israel, and this made David angry. So David was determined that he was going to defend the honor of his God. We can stick up for our God. We can say a word of testimony we can tell people how much our God means to us. And so Psalm 27 verse 4 makes it very clear that our purpose as believers is to glorify God. It says, One thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may walk in the Spirit of God. So David was referring to an ongoing intimate relationship with God. He desired to live in God's presence. You know, when Helen and I were courting all those years ago, 35 years ago, she was in a traveling Christian music team called Y1 that toured the whole of New Zealand. And we used to write to each other every day. Okay, these days it's a lot easier. You can send texts and 
Skype calls and all that sort of stuff. But I used to really enjoy getting her letters. And if a letter wasn't there, I'd be disappointed. Because we loved each other and we were really interested in what was going on in each other's lives. And worship is a similar thing. It's connecting with God, finding out more about God, growing in our understanding of Him. In Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul expressed his desire to know Him and the power of His resurrection. The very first commandment is that we shall have no other gods before our God. And we can all ask ourselves, what is it that I think about most of the time? Is it my job? Is it my family? Is it my wife? Is it my God? Am I wanting to please him in all that I do? Whatever we worship is what we become like. And God wants us to be changed into his image. Even the most mundane things in our life, we can do it for the glory of God. Something that you don't like doing, you can still say, I'm doing this for you, Lord. I'm going to be faithful in the way I do this. I'm going to do a good job. And so David provides a model for worship in Psalm 34, verses 1 to 3. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is Psalm 34, verses 1 to 3. My soul, or my mind, shall make its boast in the Lord. Don't think about how great you are. Think about how God, how amazing your God is. And so worship is a personal thing. It's something that happens in our minds. But then he says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. And worship is also corporate. It's what we do when we gather together to focus on the Lord. And so as a, as a shepherd boy, David delighted in seeing God's glory all around him. In the mountains, the sky, the streams. But he would also play his harp and he would feel God's presence in the music. He desired to know God better and enjoy God's presence more and more. And this is something that will happen as we grow in our relationship with God. We will want to gather together to worship God. And it's interesting with uh, Mike's um, new service, that the table that's starting next week at five, we're just going to allow that to evolve into what God wants it to be. It'll, it'll be fellowship. It may end up being worship. Sometimes uh, we may, uh, the primary focus initially, I think, is for families, but anyone's welcome. And some nights when there may be a worship time that follows it. So it starts at 5, but then at 6.30, some of us can come along and have a special worship time together because things happen when we start to worship God together. Psalm 42 verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever think, I just need to have a worship time? And after that worship time, something happens and I feel full of the presence of God and I can go out and 
meet the challenges that confront me. Imagine a deer being pursued by a hunter, out of breath, desperately thirsty, then able to lap up that cool, refreshing water. There's a story of two men whose truck broke down while they were crossing the Algerian desert. It was three weeks before they were rescued and they nearly died. The sun forced them to dig a shallow trench underneath their vehicle and they just lay in the shade of their vehicle for many days. They didn't even eat food because it would intensify their thirst. They became dehydrated but they survived by drinking the radiator water in their truck. Water that contained antifreeze and engine residue. They drank this poison because of their overwhelming desire to survive. So worship for some of you guys might be like drinking poison, but it will keep you alive. And the more you do it, the more you will enjoy it. So what is it that drives us believers to seek God in worship? It's a desire to know and to please God and to see God in all of his glory. So how do we approach the mighty God of the universe in worship? It tells us here in Psalm 95 verse 1. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. So we sing. Let us shout aloud to the joy of our salvation. You can shout if you're not too loud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Tell him all the things that you're thankful for. Extol him with music and song. For the Lord our God is the great God, the King of all kings. Imagine if a very famous person, a king, a queen, a president was here with us. We have the God of the universe with us on a Sunday. Give him your worship and your praise. That's what we try to do here on a Sunday morning. We focus on God's greatness and praise him for the good things that he's done in our life. We bring our worship as an offering to God in an attitude of praise, worship, and thanksgiving. We come to church to give to God. It's not about what we can get for ourselves. Sometimes we arrive here on a Sunday morning and we're feeling really empty. But as we worship him, he fills us up. As we focus on his greatness, his kindness, and thank him for the good things that he's doing, gratitude starts to rise in our hearts. And that is the fuel of our worship. We're not asking anyone here to do anything that, they don't, that they're not or that they don't want to do. But sometimes it's important that we break free from our apathy, our self-consciousness, and our fear of people. The best style of worship is our own style. Whatever engages God at a heart level. You know, I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. And I used to think that people who raised their hands in worship were exhibitionists. 
But then I had a charismatic experience, and one day during a worship time, I heard the Lord saying to me, do you fear people more than you love me? I hesitantly raised my hand and felt something break in the spirit. And I have felt free in worship ever since. You know, this church that we pastored in Azerbaijan, um, the chairman of the core committee was actually a Southern Baptist who are extremely conservative. And when they were interviewing me, um, they were asking me questions about what I thought of Bill Johnson, who's a charismatic, and Bethel music, and Jesus culture music. And then I go to this church that was recently conservative, a missionary church, and I'm sitting at the front in the front row, and the, mu- the worship's pretty dead, and no one's got their hands raised up. But I thought, well, I've got to be true to who I am. And so I raised my hand. And when I raised my hand, that broke something in that church. Because then people also thought, oh, we can raise our hands up if we want. And it did something in the spirit. If you go on YouTube, there's um, some, ch- some clips about different, different styles of hand raising in a, in a service. And some of them are really funny, but... I don't want to be irreverent here, but basically, you know, if, if you're too shy to raise your hands, well, the first step is you just put your hands in your pocket and you shake your arms or whatever. <laughs> and um, if you get a wee bit braver, it, well, it's, it's like this, you know, carry the TV. <laughs> m- m- maybe a larger TV. <laughs> and if you progress beyond the fish, uh, beyond the TV, you can say, my fish was this big. <laughs> if you're a liar, you can go out to here. <laughs> the next stage is hold the baby. And then if you're, you know, so as we advance in this whole um, hand-raising thing, uh, we, we get higher um, with our hands. And, and so the, the next level is, um, please, sir, it's me. Or if you watched the rugby last night, it's a try. And while your hand's up there, if you're really getting into it, wash the windows. And if you're really efficient, you could do it with both hands. And if you're a real rugby fanatic, it could be goalposts. But then at the end, the celebration is, we won! All right? So the ultimate in worship is, Lord, I'm not worried about what people think. I love you. I want to worship you. I'm raising my hands because I... And like a child reaching out to his mother or father and saying, pick me up. I acknowledge your lordship. I want to know you better. You are mighty. Okay, sorry if, if some people thought I was irreverent there, but it might uh, lighten things up a wee bit. Anyway, so feel free to try something different in worship if you want to. 
You can raise your hands. You can bow down. You can clap. You could lie on the floor. You can say, Lord, I love you and I want to please you and to honour you with my life, in my singing, in my worship. You can be as energetic and passionate as you feel. You can also be as thoughtful and contemplative as you want to, if that's what you're comfortable with. We're all wired differently, and you can sit there and be quiet and contemplative. That's great. We give people freedom in worship in this place. We're here to worship God together. Do you ever let your hair down on some occasions where you just get rid of your inhibitions and just go for it? You know, Helen and I ministered in the interior of Borneo in longhouses. And whenever, wherever we went, one of their traditional dances was a hornbill dance. And they would be sort of prancing around like this hornbill bird. And then it would be our turn. And we could either very sort of somberly uh, try and, and go along with it, or we could you know, move quite briskly and make all sorts of gestures and wobbles and bring the house down. And they really enjoyed it when we lost our inhibitions and we just got involved in, in what was happening there. And when we were in... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we were in Dubai, we went... We went to this cultural show and they, you know, there was a camel ride and traditional sword dance and, and then this belly dancer came out and she had to pick one person from the audience and unfortunately it was me. Why do, why do I always get picked for these things? <laughs> So worship can involve a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it means we're doing what we don't want to do. Sometimes we're sacrificing our self-esteem. Sometimes it means that we sing a song that other people enjoy that we don't enjoy so much. And that's what intergenerational worship is all about. That we sing some of the old hymns, some of the Hillsong choruses from way back, some of the news, contemporary music that's around. And there's such a diversity of worship out there, but it's all good. And if you don't like the beat, focus on the words and see what the words are trying to say. Because the words are an expression of our thoughts towards God, our response to him. We love him because he first loved us. And so we focus on his majesty, his mercy, his love, and we extend that love and that grace to others. Do our songs clearly teach God's truth? We want songs that have meaningful words. Do they bring a sense of wonder of Christ into our lives? Because singing is an expression of our love and of our emotion. So we're going to join into another time of worship 
We can come into God's presence because of what Jesus achieved for us on the cross. And in Isaiah 62 verse 10, it describes a progression that can apply to our worship. It says, pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a barrier, a banner for the nations. So this is saying that worship can be a journey. We're to go through those gates of praise. We're to lift up our heads and raise our voices in song to the Lord. We're to remove the stones, those stumbling blocks, those things that trip us up and stop us from entering into that place of worship. And so maybe for some people it could be a time to step out of what's convenient and safe so that we can prepare a highway of easy access to God as we worship him together this morning. God bless you.